Welcome to Temples of Technology with the California Business Incubation Alliance, where we take you inside leading incubators and accelerators supporting startups of every shape and size. Now we turn to our host in our Northern California headquarters, Matt Gardner, founder of the California Technology Council. On this episode of Temples of Technology, we're talking to Brady Forrest from Highway One. Brady, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. Brady, can you start by telling us what makes Highway One unique as an accelerator platform? Well, number one, we are devoted to hardware. We only work with hardware startups. We want to make sure that we can de-risk them. We see hardware startups as really being one of the future pillars of technology, but that they're under-supported in the early stages. Second, we're a part of PCH, which is a large supply chain management company. They deal with manufacturing logistics for large companies. They're also willing to work with startups. And so by having PCH on the back end, being able to go and visit uh, their partner factories, their facilities, work with their manufacturing engineers from China, uh, we're able to offer unparalleled access, really, to our hardware startups. Does that mean your startups are getting a clearer idea of what their supply chain is going to look like at maturity, or is it more of a, uh, an in-depth understanding of, of what the full picture of the market is going to be, or some combination of both? I'd say it's some combination of both. It's, it's really like what will their supply chain look like for their first couple of runs? How will they get their product shipping? What's the process? So when a company comes to us, we want to make sure they have a team. We want to make sure they have an idea about the market. And then we make sure they have a prototype and that they have the team to move that prototype forward. And while they're with us, our goal is to, is to turn that prototype into a product, a looks-like, works-like version of their product. So we work with – we have engineers on staff. We connect them with industrial design firms. And – and we teach them about what it will take to actually build that product and what the financial models look like. Now, a lot of investors don't like to invest in hardware because it's so expensive. You end up having to pay a lot just to fund the inventory. And so we try and make sure that they de-risk that aspect of things and hopefully are able to partner up with folks who can help them with inventory funding. Right, okay. Um, so, you know, in the long-term perspective, it seems like hardware has made a bit of a comeback. Why is it easier to approach this, this part of the industry today? I think there's a number of reasons. I mean, first and foremost, the maker movement has created a lot of tools that can be used by hardware startups. I mean, MakerBot, Arduino, GitHub for code sharing, TechShop for prototyping, to your cell phones provide a lot of functionality that is no longer needed, especially for wearables. You know, your cell phone provides the control interface for a device in your home or for that Fitbit on your wrist. Third, crowdfunding can provide you dollars and customer validation, though we, we often uh, counsel our startups to not go to crowdfunding too early, but it is still a really great way to go to market. Fourth, Manufacturing, while still challenging, has become more accessible. 
And so there are more startups that have been able to do manufacture, uh, to ship their manufactured products, and fewer just outright failures than ever before. Pretty amazing, the, uh, the kind of surge in investment. So what's the format of a usual cohort at Highway 1? We bring companies in for a 16-week program. During that first week, we evaluate how far we think they can get during the time with us based on the skills they have, how complex the product is, and what their funding is. Then my engineers start to work towards that goal. And we have two senior mechanical engineers, one senior EE, a shop tech, and then we also have a senior designer to help them on the product side. We also work with them with PR, marketing, and biz dev. Within the first month, we bring in a pitch coach to really help them hone their story and start to define uh, what they're going to tell investors and what they're going to tell uh, folks who are interested in them. We take them to China midway through the program to see what manufacturing at scale is like and to get an exposure to what it might be like to manufacture overseas. All along the way, we're introducing them to mentors. We bring in various uh, tech experts to talk about retail, to talk about marketing, to talk about customer acquisition, to talk more in depth about manufacturing. And the whole time they're working to build their prototype, mostly in our shop, and to get it to that looks like, works like product by the end of the program. So Brady, how often do companies come to you thinking that they've got a prototype uh, when in fact they're not really yet at a kind of working prototype and you've got to work with them and go back to square one? We had almost 350 applicants for this last batch and we have 13 teams in the program. So a lot of those applicants did not pass our technical bar and we could not consider them. We told them to come and apply later after they've moved forward. For the teams in our program, you know, for the most part, they, they're pretty reasonable about where they are. And very rarely are they coming in and, and totally resetting. They won't have time to do that in 16 weeks. Hardware just takes a long time. You know, it takes a week to get your board spun out by somebody else. It takes a week to then work with users and then you have to redesign it. So that's a three-week turnaround time just to do one iteration. So for a team that's moving super fast, you know, that's four iterations. Most teams do two, maybe three during the program just because of all the other stuff going on. And so we don't like to take in teams that are going to have to completely redo their prototype. So this is probably an unfair question, but you've got some really cool stories in your uh, graduated classes from prior uh, cohorts, but you know, great stories like Shade and Navdi. So you know, obviously you've, you've crossed over a number of different consumer sectors. Do you have a favorite? I, that, that's why I say it's probably an unfair question, but uh, <laughs> you have favorite, favorite tales from the past about great success stories that have come out and done amazing things since they've graduated? Well, I mean, an easy favorite for me is Ringley. Um, you know, Christina had, you know, has been living in Manhattan, realized that she wasn't always able to answer her phone and realized she wanted to create this jewelry, this piece of jewelry. So she made a prototype out of little bits and started working with Logan and Tim, uh, 
two people she'd known for a while, and they just really started to build up the idea of the product. And then they approached Chris Dixon, who was with Andreessen Horowitz, that Christina had worked with at Hunch. And then as he was putting together the round, he approached us and said, you know, hey, these are a bunch of software people trying to do hardware. Will you take them into Highway 1? And so they were the very first team that we brought into Highway 1. And it, it almost immediately validated the idea that there were software people who have great tech expertise, but know that the manufacturing and prototyping process is going to be hard, and that's why we want to bring them in. But, you, you know, you mentioned Shade. Shade's another great one. It's Emmanuel DuPont, a PhD out of Cornell Medical. And we really like to bring in folks who are taking university research, defendable research, core IP, and turning it into a product, especially when they're able to help people. And so Shade is developing a UV radiation detector that will help folks with lupus know when they've been in the sun too much, because we don't know what causes lupus, but we know that UV radiation causes attacks. And so someone with lupus can monitor how much radiation they receive and know when they need to go inside, know when they have to stay out of the sun. And so and two products that we are really happy with and definitely glad are moving forward. Great stories. Uh, let's look at the big picture for a second, Brady. Tell me, from your point of view, why has the accelerator model proliferated so radically in the last five to 10 years? I think, one, they've seen companies, like great companies like Dropbox and Airbnb come out of YC. And then they've seen other great companies like SynGrid and TaskRabbit come out of additional acceler other accelerators like Techstars and 500 Startups. And so they've seen these, folks have seen these successes. They've realized that it costs less than ever to create a tech company. And so by putting out a little bit of capital, you can help some really bright people who are driven create a company. And that company, whether it's started in Ohio or whether it's started in San Francisco or in France, has just as much chance as anywhere else is becoming a big company. Now, often folks do move to tech centers after a while if, if they start to receive some traction and they're able to hire talent and that's where money is, but these companies can start anywhere. So there's no reason like the brandery in the Midwest shouldn't feed a bunch of companies there. Uh, I was just, I, I now get approached on a regular basis uh, to help people start hardware accelerators in other regions. So I've, I've just chatted with someone in Dallas, uh, LA. I just was reached out to by someone in Singapore. And these are all people who want to model something kind of like Highway 1, except in these other regions. And I can see us being very complimentary. You know, they take an early team, they get them to an early prototype stage, and then they come here where we can help them move it into a product and reach out to Silicon Valley investors. So do you think there's a limit? I think that, you know, we are seeing a proliferation. I don't think that all accelerators will survive. I, it is, there's no guarantee. And we're certainly creating a lot of companies that will not be sustainable. But I don't think 
that it's obvious at the early stages of many companies to know that those companies will not make it. You know, there's a huge, I watch the growth that happens with the founders at Highway 1 over the 16 weeks, and it's huge. You know, just we're, we're on our third week right now, and I'm dealing with a company that, okay, they've been working for a couple of years together, and suddenly it's getting real. And so now we're talking about shifting the CEO. And the growth that's going to happen amongst the team in resolving conflict, dealing with emotions, is huge. And it's going to better prepare them for the road that lies ahead as the company starts to grow. Yeah. And so when you, see, when you meet two super green people and they're starting a company, it's easy to dismiss them. But the reality is, is starting a company is a huge step. And they are going to change their perspectives and the way they approach the world by doing it. And so even if the one company fails, their next company might not because they will have learned so much. So, yes, there are a ton of accelerators. No, not all of them will survive. But some of them will, and I think we'll continue to see more as people refine the model. So, uh, interesting sidebar, there is a stat from the last Kaufman Startup Index that I think this represents everything, including, you know, flower shops and restaurants, but there are 530,000 new business owners a month, according to Kaufman, in the U.S. So, That's awesome. you know, yeah, they're pretty incredible. Um, okay, so if this were a game show, we, we'd be entering the lightning round. Are you ready for the lightning round of the, the Tech Council's I'm favorite always... questions? Always ready for the lightning round. <laughs> That's great. So, Brady, what keeps you up at night in serving entrepreneurs? Finding them the right investor. You know, a lot of companies that come into Highway 1, they, you know, they're, they're here to get ready for follow-on financing. And so just trying to find them the right pair. The other thing is just helping them resolve these founder issues because they all, each, each start, you know, we have 13 companies in here right now. They're all going to have their own founder issue. And inevitably, some of the founders are going to leave during the program. And so just, you know, are we able to help them? Are we giving them the right advice? Um, when's the right time to let a founder walk away? You know, we had a, someone in the last batch decided that they didn't want to be, didn't want to be a founder. They wanted to be an employee. And so she went back to country of origin and that was just, that was her decision. And it really, you know, shook the rest of the team, but there was nothing we could do to stop that. And it was her, it was her choice. So, you know, how are we serving, how are we serving them? Yeah. Great rock bands don't stay together, right? <laughs> no, they, no, they, they all have their solo albums and then they realize they should have stayed together. Exactly. <laughs> okay, second question in the lightning round is, who is your call to the bullpen when something goes wrong or you need that kind of inside advice? Where's the first place that you turn? Oh, wow. It all depends. Uh, depending on what the issue is, often I talk to my girlfriend, Byron, and just get her, you know, I talk with her on a daily basis so she knows where I'm thinking. And I talk through scenarios with her. Other people on my roster include my colleague, David Austin, who is at Media Camp and Apple and runs a peer division here at, at PCH. Uh, Dave McClure at 500 Startups. Yeah, I'm lucky to have a lot of folks uh, that I can call. 
All right, so we'll come back to that 500 startups thing in just a second. But before we do, sure. uh, last lightning round question is, if you had a time machine and you could go back and tell yourself something when you were just kicking off this path in your career, what would that one thing be? I think I would have told myself, you know, hardware just takes a long time. I just, I was used to software, honestly, and did not realize how long it takes to do hardware. And it is just shocking, like, um, you know, the fastest team we've had go through the program and then get to retail is 10 months. And we're constantly trying to shrink that number, but it's just, you know, when you think of a website and how you can put up a website in 24 hours or an hour, you know, it's just, it's no idea that hardware took as long as it did. It is the path for the brave. Let's look ahead here. In September, you're going to become a pop culture icon, or at least... <laughs> I don't... Maybe, I don't, I, I don't. maybe we can hope. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a show coming up on Sci-Fi called The Bazillion Dollar Club uh, with you and Dave. And, uh, and, and obviously, this is a really interesting opportunity to try and, and help people understand what happens inside a real startup. Uh, tell us about Bazillion Dollar Club and what the inspiration was for doing this. Yeah, well, you know, Dave and I met in 2005 and have been friends and collaborators ever since. He worked on the Web2 Expo with me. Uh, I'm part of the first fund at 500 Startups. And so, you know, two years ago, Dave had connected with ZPZ, 0.0 Productions, and they're the folks behind Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, No Reservation, Mind of a Chef. And they had started working together to create a show that would document Dave working with startups. The network, Sci-Fi, had come back and said, okay, we love the show, but we want hardware in there. And so Dave called me. He was like, hey, I know you're starting Highway 1. How would you feel about uh, being a part of this TV show? So the very first week of Highway 1, 0.0 showed up with cameras, filmed us, and put together a two-minute sizzle reel. And Sci-Fi said, that's great. What we want is Brady and Dave together. And so what we ended up with is a show where Dave and I work with the teams that are on the show. Three of them are from 500 Startups. Three of them are from Highway 1. Each episode is devoted to just one of the companies. So it's no competition between them. And it's Dave and I, you know, trying to move them forward, move them through their founder issues, move them uh, through their technology choices and get them to demo day and hopefully get them uh, funding so they can continue on. I've seen the first couple episodes. I, they're, they're pretty fun. I mean, ZPZ does an amazing job of editing. Uh, I think they shows some of the challenges that these cash-strapped companies have and how they work through them. And uh, how it's not just the funding announcements that you see on tech blogs or how we, you know, the deal making on Shark Tank, but instead it's long nights, it's people working together trying to create something that never existed before. How is this show, do you think, going to contrast from what people see in Shark Tank, and how does it provide a different kind of insight? I, I think it'll show that technology creation is a process, 
And these are people who really want to create something and are willing to take huge risks and have balls of steel. Like they are just uh, willing to risk it, risk it all. There are people who go into debt creating these companies. And yeah, sometimes there's a huge payoff, but you know, we can all name, you know, Twitter and Facebook, but there's a sea of companies that do not survive. And those founders, they benefit from the experience and sure they can probably get another tech job somewhere, but you know, it is not just this instant payoff. It is a lot of work to start a company. And are you going to show that? Or are you going to show some of the painful choices of people having to shut it down? Um, well, none of the companies that went through the program ended up, I mean, they're all still ongoing. And so that wouldn't be, but we will show, there are definitely companies that went through challenges uh, during, during the four months of filming. And we'll have some, I think the filming will, will actually go a bit beyond the term of the program because they want to show what happened after demo day and kind of where they are now. But yeah, I mean, we'll have, and there are plans to do media with the team from that episode so you can see like, okay, well, this is what they're doing now, like even even since the show because all these teams are moving super fast. Sure, so. And who knows, if, yeah. we, if we make it to season two and season three, maybe <laughs> we'll uh, start to, you know, bring people back and like flashbacks to uh, what people have done. Yeah, you'll have some exits to talk about. Yep. Fantastic. Well, I, I think the whole community is looking forward to seeing the Bazillion Dollar Club on Sci-Fi. Uh, September 22nd is the debut, right? Yes. And it's six, well, maybe we'll, six episodes every Tuesday. Let's see if we can uh, invent a, a viewing party, Brady. That doesn't sound too hard. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> we're going to be doing like live broadcasts afterwards. Oh, oh great. And we'll definitely be live tweeting. Yeah, we're going to definitely do some something along those lines. Great stuff. This has been Brady Forrest on Temples of Technology. Brady, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. This episode of Temples of Technology is brought to you by First Pitch Smart Grid, the California Technology Council's demo day, upcoming October 5th. For more information, check californiatechnology.org and look for the featured event on our homepage. Temples of Technology is produced in Northern California by the California Technology Council.